This morning, we're just looking at, uh, you know, it's we are still at Advent, right? Leading towards the arrival of the King of Kings, right? So what we're doing basically is you're looking at some of the things that, you know, the Gospels show us about the events and the stuff leading up to Jesus' birth, uh, right? And But this is, you're looking at something that is after Jesus' birth and, and this would be, uh, in a sense, uh, the gifts, the wise men. So we're looking at two parts of it, the Magi, uh, the wise men, and the gifts they brought to Jesus. So that would be our focus this morning. So let's look at the word of God and let's just read it. I'm going to be reading it loud here. And even as you, I know you're muted, but you know, read it together with me in your homes. Okay, all scripture references uh, on your screen today are from the New King James Version of the Bible. Let's read it together. Gifts for the giver. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Next slide. Thank you. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not depart to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, for your word. Even as we look at the wise men, the magi, and as we look at the gifts they brought, help us to come to you with our very best. Help us to learn this morning, Father, lessons from the wise men. And Father, teach us by your spirit to see your word bring forth a hundredfold harvest in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You know, one of the things we see in Christmas cards if you guys are a bit, you know, if you guys are old school, you know, and if you had seen those above 30, I guess, or above 40, right? Uh, you know, who've seen Christmas cards. How many of you remember the Hallmark Christmas cards? You know, they used to have this nativity scene, you know, it'll be a typical fireplace mental, uh, you know, uh, where you'll see a makeshift stable there along with probably drawings of Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus. Then there'll be a shepherd or two an assortment of animals, perhaps sheep and, and, and cows, 
possibly an angel and three wise men, which some may call three kings or the Magi. The thing is this, the truth is the shepherds and the wise men did come and see Jesus at some point, but they didn't all come to see him in Bethlehem the night he was born. The Magi came from the far east, most likely from Babylon. They had seen an extraordinary star in their night sky and believed that it was the sign for the greatest leader in the world to be born. So to celebrate the birth of this king of all kings, these magi, they traveled a great distance and brought very special gifts with which to honor this king of all kings. So we'll be looking at the magi, we'll be looking at the posture of your hearts and, and what they were looking at. And then we'll be also looking at the gifts they brought. Were they three tiny uh, boxed presents of gold, frankincense and myrrh, tissue box sized, I don't know, watch box sized? Were they something else, something greater and grander than we could imagine? That's what we are looking at the Magi, who they are, and their extraordinary devotion to this King of all kings, who is the giver of all good things, the giver of life itself. And the gifts the Magi brought, gifts for the giver. They brought, and what we can draw from this whole action, from this whole posture of the Magi, what the gifts were, what they represented, the relevance of this passage, and how it entails to us today. Right, so the Magi, who were these guys? Powerful people of influence, wise men. The Greek, basically, you can see on your screen, it's Magos, plural form of Magi. That's where we derive the word magic, I guess. A median group of priests and astronomers. They were also kingmakers, a blend. This, this magi were a blend of a politician, a religious priest, and a scientist. They were a powerful, wealthy, influential group of people. Matthew uh, chapter 2, two verse 1, it says, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The word wise men is the Greek word majors. It is the plural form, right? Basically, what this guy's who these guys were. Uh, you remember Daniel, right? He, when he was serving in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Darius and all the other kings, right? He was called chief of the magicians. Basically the Magi were these guys. They were not those guys who do those tricks, you know, those party tricks or uh, those guys, you know, those roadside guys that have got, uh, what do you call it? Birds like what? Parrots and, and crows picking up, uh, uh, pigeons picking up those uh, cards. You know, they're not soothsayers or any of those things. These guys were a bit more elevated, uh, in a bunch, okay? And, and they were very influential, okay? Some con commentators refer to, uh, I mean, reference Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9, saying that this Magi who came to see Jesus were from that so-called, quote-unquote, for the lack of a better word, lineage, and, 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 and that, bunch, that, that group of people, they were a unique breed, right? And... They were the most powerful men in the East, particularly in Babylon. With one word, they could install a king or dethrone him. So in a sense, they were called often, they often called kingmakers. So when they travel, when this Magi travel, it's not like, you know, they were these three lonely guys traveling on three camels, lone camels across the desert, bringing three tissue boxes sized gifts. No, 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 they were not, you know. These guys traveled, with well-trained armies that served as their bodyguards. 
And, and these troops that traveled with the Magi were greatly feared by surrounding nations. Even the Roman troops, according to some historians, were afraid of them. Some historical documents at an earlier point, possibly around the year uh, 35 to 40 BC, where they say that Eastern troops from Persia had temporarily removed Herod from power. So when these same troops showed up again in the city gates, at the city gates of Jerusalem, Herod was deeply troubled. The Magi, again, they were exceedingly influential and rich, accompanied by the bunch of people who accompanied them, bodyguards, an assortment, military bodyguards and an assortment of other individuals needed to carry those supplies, the cargo and the treasures could have been ranging from hundreds, hundreds to even thousands, okay? And, and, and so these were influential folk and they came looking for the King of Kings. Who were they looking for? In the Greek, the term here is Basileus. Basileus simply means king or highest ruler, sovereign who possesses ultimate power, emperor. Matthew 2 verse 2 says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? He was born the king. He was not going to become king. He was already king when he was born. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They diligently sought out the Messiah. The Bible tells us that as the wise men entered Jerusalem, they were saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. See, when they entered, they asked, they were asking this question. The tense of the word saying in the Greek indicates that they kept on saying and saying and saying, where is he? Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? And again, the word king is the Greek word basileus, and it is capitalized in Greek here, signifying that they were asking for the king of kings. Capital K, right? The highest and greatest of all rulers. The thing is, keep in mind, you know, we were, we, we were talking about Daniel earlier, right? He seems to have somehow, you know, you know, he was the head of these guys at one time, right? Hundreds of years ago. He was the head of this particular group of priests and astronomers in Babylon. And he could have influenced these guys to such a degree that they developed a reverence for him and the prophecies he shared. When you look at Daniel and the prophecy that is linked, it's always the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 which a lot of commentators refer to, right? Bible commentators. So for hundreds of years, this Magi, they held tightly to the forecast of a coming world leader that would be born, a leader like no other. He would be the king of kings, emperor of all emperors. Raja Sgala Raja, right? President Sgala President. The greatest human ever born. And now when they saw these brilliant stars suddenly appearing in the east, they believed it signaled the birth of that individual, that king of all kings. Of course, talking about the star, some uh, astronomers believe that, you know, this star appeared somewhere between 3 BC to 7 BC. I mean, there's a range, uh, you know, they estimate, and, and they were saying that this could have been the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn. Okay, these two planets, the alignment of these two planets. So it looked at like one large single star that was so extraordinary in the night sky. And they were saying that that's what this, this wise men, this magi followed. The thing is, the Bible simply says that it was a star that appeared. And the Bible says it's a star. I'm sure it's a supernatural sign that God brought forth to lead these seekers to 
his son, to the birth of his son, to come in and to meet Jesus, right? So we know a couple of things. Who are the Magi? They were powerful, wealthy, influential group of people. They were kingmakers. Who were they looking for? They were looking for the Basileus, the king of all kings, right? The thing we can learn with regards to this Magi is simply this. They modeled worship and adoration. We can learn from these guys. I mean, these guys, they were not some, uh, you know, they, they had lots of things to do. They, they were busy folk, right? And, and, and when they saw the star, they, you know, they rejoiced. Matthew 2, verse 10, we are told when they saw the star, these magi, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. The word saw in the Greek was the word horao, uh, which means to see, to behold, to perceive, or to delightfully view, to view with great joy and great uh, a sense of fulfillment. It pictures uh, to look, a look of in, an, an intense look, to to look with the intent to examine or to fully view some, uh, what do you call it, commentators say, with regards to this word, horao, right? The word rejoiced is the Greek word, chairo, C-H-I, C-H-A-I, chairo, uh, which means to be glad or to rejoice exceedingly. And the Greek word for aspodra is translated exceeding, which means all out exceeding violently a violent, exceeding joy, right? Combine these three words and you'll see that after the Magi took a scrutinizing look, a deep look into the night sky to examine and to fully view what was up there, they violently rejoiced with all-out joy. Essentially, they were throwing a party. They were rejoicing at the sight of this star. Matthew 2, 11 goes on to say, and when they came to the house, they searched for the house, right? And now they came to the house. They saw the young child with Mary's mother. And what did they do? These kingmakers, they fell down and worshipped him. This particular verse shows us quite a few things. It is loaded with some insight, right? For starters, the word house, it is the Greek word oikos, which describes a house. It was not a cave in Bethlehem, but it was not the cave where Jesus was born or the manger. It was a house in Nazareth. Basically, once Mary's, the 40 days of Mary's purification were completed and Jesus was dedicated to God, the family returned to their hometown in Nazareth. So the wise men, the Magi, did not meet Jesus in a stable or a cave. They went and met Jesus in his family home, in his hometown in Nazareth. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child. The Greek word here is paidon, meaning a child in training. So young child, anywhere between two to four years old. Once more, this confirms that Jesus was no longer an infant, but he was a toddler. The sight of Jesus, at the sight of Jesus, the Magi fell down. The phrase, Greek phrase is pitto, meaning to fall down or to collapse. Straight, all right? To fall down or to collapse. Imagine this moment, the weight of this moment in which these guys, these wise men, these magi found themselves. I mean, their uh, mentors, the people, the, the magi who went before them from the time of Daniel's prophecy, they were waiting for centuries to see the fulfillment of this prophecy. 
And suddenly these guys witness the reality, the fulfillment of this prophecy right before their eyes. When they saw Jesus, they just collapsed to the ground in his presence. They prostrated before the king of kings, these highly revered dignitaries. They worshipped him. Matthew 2 verse 11. The word worship is from the Greek word. Koskunio. The same word we saw in Matthew 2 verse 2. It means to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior or to fall face down and prostrate oneself. To adore on one's knees, to worship with all necessary physical gestures of worship. I mean, when these guys saw Jesus, they worshipped him. They took the time to seek him out deliberately, diligently. And they traveled for months, perhaps, many miles, hundreds of, hundreds of miles to seek out the King of Kings. Not an easy journey. It's not like, okay, let's connect on Zoom or get to where he is or just take a bus or drive up there. No. They brought gifts. They have to assemble and encourage not three lonely guys on three lonely camels wearing three gift, tissue box size gifts, but an entire entourage, an army to go and meet the King of Kings. And the posture of their hearts when they saw this King of Kings, they bowed before him face down to worship. Matthew 2.11 goes on to say that when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. Matthew 2.11, the word opened is the Greek word anoigo. It simply means to make way or to give entrance. Describing a grand, magnificent opening. This was not the opening of small gifts that are usually, you know, that we usually see in greeting cards. As many have imagined, right? Those Hallmark cards will see these guys carrying something small in their hands, palm-sized stuff. The largest one I saw was probably the size of a roasted turkey. Gold uh, and some other boxes. What they opened up and presented to Jesus was simply magnificent. They physically carried these gifts and brought it to Jesus. The gifts they presented indicates many gifts. It's plural, right? It also says treasures, coming from the Greek word tesiores, which means a storehouse of treasures. A cargo filled with treasure. Again, the word treasures is plural. The word gifts is plural. They presented treasures, confirming that what they brought, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, they were not three little gifts, but rather large and numerous extravagant treasures. They literally carried a storehouse of treasures and gave them to the young Christ child. If you look at how um, Middle Eastern protocol was in the, in the, you know, at, at the time past when dealing with kings or dignitaries, researchers have documented the kinds of gifts that would be given to a king in this situation. Many records that survived from ancient Middle Eastern, uh, what do you call it, governments uh, uh, and civilizations, they help us to have kind of a reliable estimate of what the Magi gave Jesus. 
Traditionally, the size of diplomatic gifts given to a king was in proportion to the status of a king. So imagine this. If he was a low-level king, the Magi would bring lesser gifts. If he was a high-level king, they would bring greater gifts of higher value. What do you think the Magi would have brought to Jesus, the greatest, most preeminent world leader ever to be born? His coming was prophesied for centuries. And finally, when he arrived, these Magi were waiting for centuries. I seriously don't think they came to him with three little box, tissue box-sized gifts. On the contrary, they would have brought the most enormous, largest gifts that were fit for the highest status of nobility. Anything less would have been a disgrace, a, a, a snub of sorts to this king. What could they have brought? They could have physically carried all kinds of gifts and treasures and given to Jesus. This included vases, urns, plates, carpets, all kinds of clothing and all kinds of items fashioned from gold, silver, and other rare expensive materials as well. That means when they brought all these things, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we're going to be focusing on gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We saw the posture of the hearts of these guys. They prepared themselves well. They came and they sought out the king diligently. There was diligence and they were deliberate. They were diligent, they were deliberate. And when they came before the king of kings, they prostrated, they humbled themselves, worshipped and adored him, fell face down before him, bowed before him, and they rejoiced to see him. Imagine this. These guys were Gentiles. Pagans, one would say, heathen. Yet they brought their best. And we read, I mean, when you look at the scripture, when you look at the gospels, you're reading it. Or for, you know, for so many years, the church has been reading it. Anyone who reads the gospels sees this, this gifts, recorded as a testimony to these fellas, this magi who brought these gifts to the king and worshipped him and honoured him and adored him. When I was looking at this particular passage, and when I was trying to think about what these guys really did, you know, many, many times, you know, we have read through this so many times, but this particular time I was going through, course, to prepare a sermon done. The thing is this, I was, I was talking to Pastor Perks the other day, I was telling him, you know, it really made me kind of like really repent. Because these guys gave their best at, you know, at, at their level, they gave their best, the very best. What you see is about a deliberate bunch of people seeking the Lord diligently. It's a good lesson for us, a good reminder, a good exhortation and admonition just with regards to how we should be seeking God. We'll go to the gifts. But even as we are going to the gifts, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. As you look at these gifts, even right now, let's ask the Spirit of God to show us how 
we should posture our hearts before him. What should be the posture of our hearts, our lives itself? Amen. Gold, the word, gold, is rendered from the Greek word, krusos, C-H-R-U-S-O-S, Romanized, right? It's plural, meaning many gifts of gold, profound wealth. Crusos also refers to gold of the highest purity and value. There were lesser forms. Okay, although there were lesser forms of, of, of gold that were mixed with other metals, Crusos was the highest quality of gold available. It was the kind of, that was reserved for the wealthiest of the wealthy, for nobility and for those who are politically powerful. This was the same gold that dignitaries and kings used to make their cups, bowls, plates, sauces, platters, and other items. Furthermore, items made from crusos were the kind that ambassadors or heads of state would have brought to another king. And this is what the Magi brought to Jesus. They brought their very best. They brought their very best. The frankincense, Jesus was given frankincense. This is from the Greek word lebanos, which is the word for frankincense tree and the gum derived, derived from it. Frankincense was rare, hard to obtain because it didn't grow in Israel. It grew in some parts of Arabia and Sheba and had, uh, uh, I believe, in, uh, in Ethiopia or Africa. And it had to be imported from quite a long distance away. This made it very expensive, and because it was so expensive, it was primarily used in the temple worship in Jerusalem. Scholars estimate about 700 to 900 pounds of it were used annually in the temple worship in Jerusalem. It produced a powerful fragrance when it was burned, and it was also the favorite fragrance of kings. Basically, you only give frankincense to a real king, right? And the third gift, myrrh, the third substance presented to Jesus by the Magi was the myrrh. The word myrrh is the Greek word smyrna, S-M-U-R-N-A. It describes a bitter gum and costly perfume which exudes from a certain tree or shrub in Arabia and Ethiopia again. It was primarily used as an antiseptic and as an ointment for embalming the dead. It was also used to help alleviate headaches. This was a very strange gift to give to a child. But we all know, right, the fact that myrrh was used for embalming the dead makes it a prophetic gift that was symbolic of Jesus' death. The symbolism well, of, of these three gifts refers to Jesus and his entire mission. They had great significance. They take into account these gifts. The gold was a gift for a king. Jesus is our king of kings. He was born the king of kings. Frankincense was connected with the priest and Jesus' priestly functions. He is our advocate. His life, death, and resurrection was the fragrance it was the pleasing aroma to God, reconciling you and I back to the Father. The myrrh was a component in perfume used for embalming the bodies of those who had died. Thus, it symbolically prophesied Jesus' death. 
He was born to be the Messiah, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. These three gifts the Magi brought prophetically foretold that Jesus would eventually serve in the role of king, high priest, and savior for all mankind through his birth, his death, and resurrection. The Magi, not three of them, the three gifts, made several of them, a guild of them, with hundreds, perhaps thousands, following in the entourage, to the point where all of Jerusalem and Herod were shocked to see these guys, right? They sought Jesus for centuries, diligently and deliberately, exhibited humility and genuine adoration for this king of kings. They esteemed him as the highest and honored him. What about us? They traveled for months and miles following the star. They were Gentiles, yet God met them. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. God honors those who honor him. And I think it's in Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 14, which verse 12, verse 13, that says, where God says, and you shall seek me and you shall find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart, then I will be found of you. God is, God does not, in a sense, God is respect. God honors those who honor him. He's very clear about that. If you seek him, you will find him. I mean, you look at this Magi. They were really important folk. They were kingmakers, impacting nations and regions. Yet they deem seeking out the savior more important than anything else. They put aside their king-making duties, etc., etc., and went out in search of the king of kings. And they brought their best to him. Their best, not just in the gifts they gave, but also their posture before God. Let's examine our hearts this morning. You know, Christmas is a time of giving. The fact of the matter is this, God gave us Jesus. None of us can outgive him. None of us. And we all know that very well. I don't want to sound cliche, but I want to say this as a fact. None of us can outgive God. We know this. Let's not just say it for the sake of saying it, but let's sink into our spirits this morning. These guys brought their best to him, the Magi. Not just in their gifts, but also in their posture before God. I'm repeating this so that this will sink into us. How about us? God is the ultimate giver. He's given us his very best. He's lavished us with his son, Jesus. We all know this. But where are we this morning in terms of the posture of our hearts before God? Are we giving him what's right? What's rightfully his? Are we giving him what's right or simply putting out what's left? The leftovers and scraps in terms of our time, our resources, our lives to him. Even as we are connecting on Zoom, are we really honoring him? 
Or are we busy doing other things? You know, sitting through this, uh, even as I was going through this, this sermon this morning, you know, you're hearing all this. I was going through this very early in the morning. It means uh, around 4 a.m., 3 to 4 a.m. Then I said, finish this. I was just praying and I said, God, you know, even as I'm looking at this whole thing, help me. Even as I'm sharing this to my brothers and sisters, not so much about what I'm sharing in terms of the facts, but let your truth reverberate in our hearts. Not just today, but let it sink into our spirits so that as a church, as IBKL and Sunaibulo will be a church that honors God. You'll be a church that knows God. See, at the end of the day, we can do things as well as we can. But it is the presence of God that really matters. And the presence of God will only be in your life and my life when we learn to honor the Lord. And he made it very clear. You know, this, this Magi, they placed God first. I mean, I thought to myself as I was going through this, you know, for most of our lives, we just thought there were three lonely guys and three lonely camels bringing three tissue box size gifts. But the fact of the matter is, there's so much in it. What I'm saying is this. This morning, I want us to speak to God. I want us to ask the Spirit of God to minister to us. Let's give him what is right. Not the leftovers, not what's left, leftovers and scraps in terms of our, in terms of our time, our resources, our lives. I want to ask you this. Don't have to answer, but when is the last time you had meaningful communion with the Father, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit? I was just I just finished off the book of Mark the other day. Um, I'm just rereading the Gospels, you know, um, Christmas time, Advent. Just going through it, going through the parable of the sower. I was looking at this, you know, I was talking about the seed sown, seed being the word of God, right? And I was reminded of a friend of mine who, who told me once, a past friend, he said, you know, when he talks about the thorns choking things out of people, he said maybe Jesus was talking about the church in present age. They're so caught up with so many things. Sometimes they're so caught up doing the work of the Lord. That the devil uses the work of the Lord to choke out the Lord of the work from our lives. We're so busy doing the work of the Lord, but we don't even know the Lord of the work. Look at the Pharisees. Look at the Jews. They were the people of promise. These guys, they were, you know, some of these Pharisees. One of Denise and I, we had a mentor in Scott with the Lord. Brother Billy, he was the OM, OM Operation Mobilization head at one time. He told me this. He said, you know, Ramesh, when you look at this uh, Pharisees, if you took all the words of the Torah, every single word, like, a, you know, and you just threw it out of the page, just imagine you could take out all the words, all the letters and, you know, all the dots and all that. You could just take it and throw it out 
into the room. And these guys can put it back exactly how it was. Every dot, every word. You switch it backward, forward, they can still put it back together. The saddest thing was the word, the very person whom that Torah was talking about was right in front of them and they could not recognize it. That really saddened me. I, mean, I, I was just going through that this morning. I said, God, let that not be us. Let us not be so caught up in the doing. I'm not saying programs are bad. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, you know, uh, in a sense, you know, having a structure is bad. It is all good. But we have to do all these things in the Lord, not for the Lord. When we do it in the Lord, he is in it. And he initiates it. And God sends us on a trip. Remember this. When he sends you on a trip, he's obliged to pay for it. and He will pay for it. But if you go on your own trip, God is not obliged to take care of it. Going back to the posture of our hearts this morning. Let's ask, you know, ourselves, have other things slowly suffocated the things of God out of our lives to the point that God is not first priority? Some people are even suspicious of God in that they think he's holding back something or that he's putting a lid on them. I just want to tell you this. God is a good father. He is your heavenly father. And he wants the very best for you. He always has your very best at heart. This morning, I just want us to look to God. I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord. Even as we pray. Father, your mercy. Father, we just invoke your mercy this morning. We thank you that you are a good God. We just ask for your spirit to just saturate our church as I be careless. So my beloved, this is your church, Lord. We are your sons and daughters. We are your people. Help us this morning. Realign us and recalibrate us according to your will, your word, and your purpose. That we would be a church that follows hard after you. We will be a church that knows your heart and your mind. A church that knows your will and a church that walks in obedience to your will. To do what is right, even to our hurt. Father, there, there are those of us who have had other things taking the place of you in our lives. For all of us, Father, we repent and we say, Father, we are sorry. Forgive us. Cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. And help us this morning, God. Help us this morning. Speak to us by your spirit. And help us to come back to you. To really come back to you. For those of us who have not heard your voice, who have not communed with you, 
have gone so far away from you. Draw us back to you this morning. Draw us back to you, Father. Draw us back to you. That your voice will be louder than any other voice in our lives. And this morning for those of us who have got storms in our lives, the challenges that we are going through, we just ask you, Lord Jesus, to come and speak peace, to come and speak that word that you spoke with that song, to remind us, to remind the storms in our life that you are ego I me, the I am. Even as you said, I am, the storm subsided. This morning, Lord Jesus, speak into each one of our lives. I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord and I just want you to pray in the Spirit. Father, just saturate SIBKL at Sinai below with your presence. Saturate our lives with your presence, God. And right now, right now, right now, align and recalibrate us back to you. That like the Magi, we would bring our best. Like the Magi, we will be diligent and deliberate in seeking your face. Like the Magi, we would be consistent and we would honor you and esteem you the highest in our lives. That you be sovereign and supreme over all, preeminent over all in each life, in each family, and over this church, your church, as I became my guru. Fulfill your good pleasure over us. Even this morning, God, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You know, when God comes onto the scene, he does not just calm the storm. He speaks life. He speaks his shalom. That simply means there'll be nothing lacking, nothing missing, nothing broken. He speaks his life into you. He speaks his life into your situation. Even as we go through the rest of this week, today would be the 19th. Today is the 19th. And next Saturday would be Christmas. As we are leading up to Christmas, let us approach Christmas this year with grateful hearts and reverent hearts, hearts that reverence God, hearts that are full of gratitude for who he is, amen, for who he is, more than what he has done or what he's doing. Father, you are awesome and you are so good. Your children, Lord, your sons and daughters, all of us, we just bless you, we just worship you. Because indeed, there is no God like unto you. 
And Father, throughout this week, we just ask for your presence to just saturate our lives. Continue to remind us of Lord, of your majesty. And help us to worship you. Help us to, to, to be deliberate in seeking you. To be consistent, intentional, and Father, to have this focused attention on you. Even as David said, Lord, in Psalm 16 and verse 8, because I have set the Lord before me. I've always set the Lord before me because he's at my right hand. I shall Let us be that church who sets you before us at all times. Because you are at our right hands. We cannot be moved. And help us this week to minister your grace to those around about us. To draw from your spirit, to be conduits, connectors, couriers of your presence, Father. We seal SIBKL at my beloved family and those connected to us, those attached to us for good with the blood of Jesus. We just bless you, God, for your mercy and your favor. Pour out your presence, Lord, for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and bless you with the shalom. In Jesus' name, amen.